Greetings, everybody. My name is Justin Buck. I'm a senior business management major from Upper Marlboro, Maryland, and you're tuned into the seventh episode of my podcast, Break It Down, Jay Buck. And I have the pleasure of having a student organizer, um, a comparative women's studies major and minor in writing, uh, Clarissa Brooks, class of Spelman 18. Um, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Hey, what's up? We will be talking about very important uh, topics today, um, ranging from the USA Gymnastics team, Dr. Larry Nasser, and the implications um, from his trial and some things uh, that have been happening there, and uh, the Federal Reserve cracking down on Wells Fargo, the U.S. government borrowing nearly a trillion dollars and what that means for our economy. We're going to start off with the first topic, which is the USA Gymnastics team doctor. Uh, Larry Nasser, um, and some of the th developing stories that have come from there. But before we get to those developing stories, we're going to make sure that everybody um, who has not been following this story knows some of the key facts, the key situation, and things that have been going on. So, to start from there, uh, Larry Nasser was a USA gymnastics team doctor, and he has been accused, well, he has been sentenced to 175 years in prison. Um, this happened last month after more than 150 women and girls said in court that he had sexually abused them over the past two decades. He pleaded guilty to seven accounts of criminal sexual conduct in Ingham County, Michigan. And this also comes, uh, another story that comes from this is, you know, this happened for such a long time over the years. It was um, somebody had reported it and now the United States Olympic Committee has demanded that all members of the board for the gymnastics, USA Gymnastics, quit and had threatened to derectify the organization if this did not happen. And um, this has now been confirmed that all of the board and all of the members from the gymnastics team have been removed. So, Clarissa, I know you have a little bit of experience in this. Uh, subjects if you want to talk about that you can but just any opinions first thing I know you've read about it what are your thoughts on the subject yeah so um, when I first read about it I actually wasn't too surprised just to, which is just with the way that um, sports and sexual violence um, and marginalized folks have kind of always been involved in things like this and just thinking about like big institutions right so Michigan has been like the hub of gymnastics, like the greatest of the greatest come out of there. And if you're a sexual predator who has access to 300 girls, thousands of girls who wanna be the best, then you know, something like this isn't, isn't too surprising. I think it's disappointing uh, for the survivors of this to have to kind of, kind of lay out their pain. That was kind of something that really stressed me out and I had to kind of step away from it just because it's painful to watch, but I'm sure it's gonna have long lasting effects that the courts won't be able to help with. Um, therapy, trauma, you know, like this is going to affect their daily lives, their relationships in ways that we're not going to see. Um, and just that type of pain is something that like, it's just tough to watch because these girls are going through it right now, but it's, it's going to affect them in a very serious way within the next like 10, 20 years. So what do you think about the, the outcome from this, that all the board, uh, all the board members, all of those people that were a part of this this gymnastics team have now been removed because of negligence, uh, because this happened over a long time, so. Yeah, um, I think it's, again, like, about time that institutions are being 
brought to the forefront about what they've been doing. Um, just thinking about Duke University and the Duke lacrosse team, the way that the lacrosse team sexually assaulted somebody, Duke covered it up for a few years um, and kind of used that white fragility to kind of get these lacrosse students um, off the hook. Um, I think it's something that should have been happening a long time ago, but I think it's something that's only reserved for white women, white men, when it comes to talking about sexual violence, because we know that institutions have been failing black, brown, you know, marginalized people in so many other ways. But, you know, it's it's weird how justice normally only happens to white people first, and then it kind of trickles down, um, which is frustrating, but I'm hoping that something like this will lead us to holding other institutions accountable that are hurting other people. Right. Yeah, because Gabby Douglas did come out and say mm -hmm. that she also was affected by this, but um, most, yeah, you're right, most of the people that have come out were white, young white women. Yeah. Um, but so it's something that has been, um, I guess, or is in the process of being resolved. What are your thoughts on the video? Uh, I know we were talking about the video earlier of the, yeah. of the father who um, was asking the judge for five hours, then an hour with alone with yeah. him, and then ended up attacking. So, yeah. uh, you know, the actual try to. Um, yeah, exactly. before he was detained but so what are your thoughts on that video did you what emotions did you feel from that yeah I mean just thinking about the sheer amount of pain that this person's caused I mean I don't really know why the cops stopped him um, but I, again it's about like um, I just think about there's a lot of frameworks around restorative justice so that means like if someone is an assailant or a perpetrator of sexual violence how do you help them heal from that um, and that's a really tough conversation because I'm, I'm sure this father doesn't want to hear about restorative justice um, and he has all right to be as upset as possible. So I think his emotions are super valid and I'm pretty sure any parent who had the energy to do that would have done it. Um, but I think it's also important for folks to think about like how can we rebuild communities and people so that we don't have this happen. Right. Yeah. Okay, but moving on to the next subject, um, one that has been in the news uh, lately, but more from it stems back from 2016. So this is the Federal Reserve cracking down on Wells Fargo, and the Federal Reserve um, made an unprecedented penalty against Wells Fargo um, this past Friday, blocking its ability to grow larger by um, giving them expenses that would prevent them from growing, and then also pressuring them um, to replace four board members um, because of this widespread uh, consumer abuse that they've been going on for that going on for years. So just a little bit of background information mm -hmm. for some people that don't know what I'm talking about. Um, the story this story stems from 2016 um, that if that Wells Fargo eventually had to fire more than 5,000 employees over the years who opened millions of phony accounts in order to, in order to earn bonuses and keep their jobs. Um, some customers were strongly charged with overdrafts and other fees that harmed their credit scores. The bank faced an immediate backlash on Capitol Hill, forcing longtime um, chief, their longtime chief executive to resign and some senior executives to give up millions of dollars in bonuses that they gave themselves. Um, so this is something that um, has been, they've been penalized for, but more recently they have been given even more fines from the Federal Reserve and then now they have been asked to replace board members on you know their board so basically restructuring you know how they're running their business yeah. and then also um, preventing them from growing and in their you know their revenue so this can a lot of people who have Wells Fargo mm -hmm. who were affected by this um, can possibly still be affected by this um, where where you stand on something like this and big banks kind of taking advantage of the everyday people 
Yeah, it makes me think about, I know, like, so I grew up in uh, Greer Heights, which is, like, um, a low-income community in Charlotte, um, and I just know a lot of people that just didn't have bank accounts, kind of for this reason, so, like, um, like some of my friends who are, like, Ecuadorian or Mexican, like, their dads just didn't have bank accounts, so kept cash on them, kept it in the house, um, mainly because people just weren't documented, um, people in my family didn't trust banks, didn't have an ID, um, but I think it also stems from the fact of a lot of marginalized people don't trust big corporations for this exact reason. Um, I know when I first got my bank account when I was younger, my mom was really clear about making sure I knew how to balance a checkbook, what credit cards did, um, understanding what a bank account meant. But for a lot of people, it's super scary. And, you know, that overdraft fee, the way that your bank can kind of corrupt your everyday life can be life or death. Like, you know, anytime I get an overdraft fee, it's stressful. So let alone people who are at a disadvantage um, and that overdraft fee can mean like you know being able to feed your kids or not being able to feed your kids you know mm-hmm. so I think it's I think it's tough but I also think it's like thinking about ways that black people can be fiscally responsible um, which is something I have to learn myself um, but I think in social justice spaces we always try to like want people to think about what a world could look like without those institutions um, which is tough because like money runs the entire world um, but, you know, I'm always trying to get people to think about, like, communities, socialism, all that stuff to where we can kind of think for a world outside of it. But while we're in this space, still being fiscally responsible so we can get to that place where we're ready for whatever liberation looks like. Right. And I, I agree with what you were uh, talking about when you say people of color not trusting big corporations yeah. like this. And you can really see why those anecdotal type of things that you know people of color say yeah. you know it kind of like are jokes but at the yeah. same time they're really not yeah um you know we yeah. sometimes joke about how keep you know thousands of dollars of cash you know underneath our mattresses and, yeah. and trying to make sure and then also not having a reputation for our credit scores being low yeah um and this is something that um i would say definitely is one of those reasons it's not something that i would say is made up mm-hmm. or is something that you know, people say it's all about race. It's something that's really happening. So yeah, there's that, a, yeah, black folks have a history of not trusting corporations and us being guilted by them, guilted by them. Uh, but I'm thinking about like movie Soul Food, like right. the end, like they all find like Big Mama's like secret treasure. Like yeah. there's a very clear reason why she held all that money right. in that bed, right? Because she knew if she put it in a bank, it got interest. Money was becoming in and out of it all the time. Like it's just better to hide it in your house, right? You know, somebody's yeah. gonna find it, right? So. But the next story is very interesting. The uh, United States government. So we've been talking about this show. Uh, on this show, we try to keep up with the government, even though the main, um, that's not the main subject, but it is in the news a lot. So right now, um, some, there's been a lot of things in the headlines. So a lot of people actually missed this headline. Um, but it is very important. It affects the economy. And that's that the United States government plans to borrow nearly one $1 trillion this year, and that is an 84% jump from last year and previous years. So this is something that um, a lot of people haven't been paying attention to because of this new tax bill that has been causing economic growth lately. Um, but the latest example is because of this GOP tax bill, it's expected to add an extra trillion dollars or more to the debt that we currently have. Um, according to a nonpartisan analysis. And this is also including the economic growth that we've already seen. Mm-hmm. So the economic growth that growth that we've seen where we've seen companies like DirecTV, Comcast, yeah. giving out thousands of dollars of bonuses yeah. because of this 
of these big businesses have gotten a big tax cut yeah. um, from 35% to 21%. Now we see more money being brought over um, because like big companies like Apple, Amazon, they have mm. these billions of dollars. They hold them overseas so that they can avoid big tax costs. So now we see everything coming back to the United States and the economy growing for the short term. Mm. But now we understand that this is also take the money taking away from our economy and the debt that we already have. Mm. And this can also affect, you know, it's affecting the middle class the most and people under that. So I just wanted to have you talk about that a little bit and how yeah. I know that will definitely affect people of color, but just talk about it and give your opinions on that. Yeah, I, I think when I first read this, I would immediately started thinking about, you know, how is that gonna affect education? Um, how is it going to affect welfare programs? Um, I wish I could like probably look at where they're probably going to be cutting from programs. Um, I was at a galvanized Georgia event for Planned Parenthood, I think, um, and they basically had this exercise where it was like, okay, make the make the budget for the United States, right. um, and it was tough because like you know there's so much aid that goes to military expenses, um, foreign aid. And so the job of politicians is definitely not something I envy. Um, having to make those tough choices is like literally life or death because you're putting aid and support in places that people may need. I think it's interesting, especially with big business. Like I really am not super aware of what like Amazon is doing. I know Google Fiber um, just got to Charlotte where I'm from. Um, and that's been a really big plus just for internet access to low income communities. But I also think about like, what does that mean for the economy? You know, just I know those Google Fiber jobs are not going to like people in low-income communities, right? right? So um, how is it really boosting folks and making uh, things better? I'm not saying I don't think about the middle class too much, but my my headspace, like where my family is at, is always in like low-income communities right. um, and how it's helping them. So I guess my concern would be where is the cutting going to be happening? Um, and also like how is the money we're borrowing um, going to be affecting foreign aid. So I know like something that people have a lot of pushback on um, in social justice spaces is like the Israel-Palestine conflict, mm. right? So the U.S. has so much connection with Israel, a lot of aid, a lot of military resources, um, especially Atlanta and Gilly projects and all the other stuff. But like, you know, if we're getting money and aid from Israel, how are we kind of supporting a country that's like killing, murdering brown folks in the same way that they're doing to black folks here. Right. So I kind of think about like, okay, this money is a number, but it also can mean, you know, political and ideological things that we may not see, but other people are dealing with. Okay. So think about it on like a global context. So it's not just like a number, but like it's affecting somebody's life somewhere. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it also says that, you know, in the long run, um, this will our debt and that it, it forces us to increase the amount that we're borrowing every year. And like you were talking about um, with the foreign affairs, international mm -hmm. affairs, it also looks bad because we're also, like you said, aiding a lot of people, but how are we sending out aid when we're yeah. trillion dollars in debt? Um, and it's really, like you said, it's really kind of, if you're going to focus on a global level, yeah. global level, it doesn't seem like that's what's happening yeah. because right now Trump is making himself richer. He's mm -hmm. making the 1% richer, the big businesses richer. Yeah. So in the short term, it just seems that, you know, everybody right now is talking about the economy growing yeah. and more jobs are increasing and just now it's like an economy boom. But if you look at it into the long run, it, you understand the big picture, and like you were talking about, globally, the effect yeah. that it will have 
and the reputation of the United States, it's really probably not the best move. Um, yeah. But um, right now, um, with the with President Trump having you know one of the lowest um, rates of approval yeah. than since like Richard Nixon, yeah. it's kind of something that he was kind of forced to do. Mm -hmm. So that he can say, oh, it wasn't all bad. You know, I helped the economy. I did that, this, that, and the other. And now I also feel like a lot of the economic boosts that we're seeing, he's taking credit for um, that he really did do. Yeah, I feel like those things would have happened naturally. Yeah. Regardless, like these corporations are running like outside of his policy kind of mindset. Um, I also think about like, I don't even, I don't, I don't really call him the president. He's like 45. Mm -hmm. um, but he's like the ultimate distraction politically. Like he's such a good distraction for news and media outlets, um, especially for black folks to kind of put our energy towards. Um, but just like thinking about policymakers, senators, local representatives, mayors, like people are really doing stuff that like we should be aware of um, globally, locally that like forget Trump. Like I'm thinking about like, what is my mayor doing to the West End? Like what is, Pence doing to abortion um, and how all of that does affect what's going on globally. I don't know. I kind of think like I want to hope that Trump is just kind of like a puppet, kind of just talking. Um, but I know he's not that. I know he's not that dumb, but I would hope. I would hope he's not the true like evil, maniacal person that he appears to be. But yeah, he's he's been running off this economic growth for a minute. So it's going to be interesting to to see his response to reporters about that. Yeah, and like you were saying, a lot of a lot of people neglect is that local voting. You know yeah. that, you know my mayor, um, and that's really what is going to determine because it's not just every, laws and things like that are not just determined at the federal level, but also at the state level. Yeah, um, and then also something that was uh, troublesome for President Barack Obama was that he was trying to you know pass legislature, get things done but he didn't have any support in the White House. Mm -hmm. So without any support, it was hard for him to kind of, you know, make a change, you know, come through on promises that he said he was trying to fix. So now that um, Donald Trump has, you know, complete troll control, yeah. he's able to pass things, he's able to do things uh, with Quickly. ease. Very, yeah, yeah. He's, super fast. He's just signing the bill like, and it just it's going into you know motion immediately. Yeah, every month there's a new policy. Every like I think um, the travel ban happened within like the first three months. Right. You know, like things are happening so fast, it's hard to keep up with the news. But yeah, I definitely I have my mixed feelings about Obama. You know, like most annoying social justice people. Right. But um, I definitely get that, and especially just around like queer issues. Like it took it took all eight years in order for him to push that legislation same-sex marriage so there's definitely pushback and I'm kind of not saying I'm hoping for that impeachment tweet but I'm hoping for it I'm kind of tired at first I was like oh I'm not gonna engage like whatever but I'm pretty over it it's pretty tiring so so do you think like that he will last off four years or like just your personal opinion what do you think the future holds I think with the like the instability of the FBI like McCabe just left it doesn't look good but like the reciprocal for how bad it can be seems to just be getting higher. Mm. Um, and I don't really know if we can't even get like an FBI investigation fully done, then I don't really even know if we can get to an impeachment. So I think he's kind of, his people, Pence, whatever, his cabinet is really good at stopping things and, you know, firing somebody as soon as possible if they get too close. Um, so I'm hoping he doesn't make off four years, but maybe. 
I mean, because people really have been dropping like flies. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to people resigning, get fired. Right. You know, it's just different. See, first he fired the attorney general. Yeah. And then the most recent FBI dude in the McCabe this past week. And it's just kind of like, that's like unheard of. While these people, and then some of these people were getting investigated you know, yeah. for, by, uh, by the FBI for, the, yeah. for Russia and ties to them. Yeah. And then uh, his son has even come out by saying that he met with a Russian lawyer. Yeah. So there's a lot of sketchy things to say the least. Yeah. It's definitely, that. it's funny because like you, the U.S. has always been known as like this super stable democracy. Um, and not to say we're turning into those countries that have that instability, but like our political news is just as hostile as imbalanced as like other countries who have constantly shifting political frameworks. So like going from like a democracy to like, you know, it seems really kind of like a joke, but it doesn't really feel like a democracy. Because we're, we're really not living in a space where your voice really matters unless you have certain privileges or in a certain space to and it's, speak the loudest. And it's quite interest, interesting to see that a company who's known for being such a big democracy right now in a possible war with a country who yeah. is known for being communist and and I've been internationally since yeah. we've Donald Trump has been in office and all of us and all of these people internationally look at us as a joke. Yeah. Like, wow. Oh, a whole joke. Trump is like, what yeah. do you think about like you have this Trump as a president? Like, what yeah. is wrong with the United States? Yeah. Like, he's a caricature. Yeah. He's really like a joke. Um, and the interesting thing about kind of um, the when I was back home in Charlotte, I joined this uh, reading group. It was a Marxist Leninist reading group, which was pretty cool. Um, but just learning about socialism and communism in a social justice framework was really cool. Um, but also to think about how like communism went left fast and it went left not in the way of like, this is communism. It was like, this is a leader who people didn't take seriously, became this super powerful, really known person. And then it just kind of switched, um, which I don't think the US, I don't think that's gonna happen, but I don't think that, I don't think US citizens are taking like the seriousness of how bad it is as much as they should, right? So I'm, I don't try to like make everyone a social justice warrior, but it's also like, y'all, if we don't get something popping, like we're gonna have to keep dealing with this. Yeah. Like if we think like someone getting fired is bad, then imagine if he's able to change policy to where he can stay president, right? Cause it's, it just happened in like Kenya this past week, mm. right? So it's like, it's not impossible, right? The, the, US, the US government is cool, has like a 300, 500 year history, but White men have been powerful for way longer. And if he wants to change policy to make himself president for as long as he wants, that's a reality. And I'd, I'd really much, I'd rather get some work done, burn some institution down before we even get to that, you right. know? That would be, well, that obviously is uh, theoretical, but yeah. yeah, it's something like that, I guess, would definitely uh, change the course of American history. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, we've seen a lot of crazy things yeah. and a lot of people have, um, compared this this presidential uh, term, you know, to House of Cards and movies yep. and stuff like that. So this is not far fetched. Yep. What you're talking about? We're living in a Black Mirror episode. <laughs> in a Black Mirror, definitely. Yeah. So going, moving on to the last subject, and I really liked our dialogue on that yeah. subject there. But we're moving on to the last subject. So I know there was something else that we wanted to talk about on this podcast today. That's a little bit special. Yeah. So. Um, so my work as a student organizer has kind of been centered around police violence, gentrification in the West End, sexual violence, um, and just trying to find a way for black folks to get liberated in general. Um, so I kind of wanted to just talk about sexual violence in the AUC specifically, uh, your interactions with it, um, 
and just get personal feedback because I know it affects a lot of people, um, but there's not a lot of communal conversations about it. Right. And for people that aren't familiar, can you just let them know what the AUC is? Yeah. Yeah. So the AUC um, is the Atlanta University Center. It is a consortium of three HBCUs in Atlanta, Spelman, Clark, and Morehouse Colleges, Clarkland University. Um, and yeah, it's a really special place, um, but it's super different and nuanced in the way that we deal with sexual violence, unlike right. PWIs or just regular institutions. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. All right. So what did you want to talk about? Yeah. So um, I was just thinking about, so this past semester mm-hmm. we had, um, I'm in an organization called AC Shut It Down um, with some other students. I've been in it for about three years. Uh, started off with the Hillary for Who protest, all that other stuff. Um, but recently we did a Stop the Violence uh, vigil, but recently there was um, some students who plastered things around campus just with names of um, alleged perpetrators, um, and I kind of just wanted to get a non-biased <laughs> feedback on what that meant for you as a student um, and how you interacted with it, because my viewpoint of it is super specific. So, Okay, yeah, so I guess what, what actually happened, to give a little bit more detail, is uh, some uh, group of students had uh, an idea to put sexual predators who have been accused of sexual violence names very specific um, in their organizations that they're associated with around campus. So my response to that um, and how I interacted with, so the first time that I heard about it, mm-hmm. uh, I guess was when I woke up one mm-hmm. morning, the first time, and I just saw this all over Twitter. Yeah. So I had 8 a.m. at the time, and I was, um, you know, I was actually able to see it firsthand. Okay. Um, so before anybody started covering it up or anything like that. Yeah. So it was very shocking to see it um, mm-hmm. just in front of your face. And then the second day that it happened, mm-hmm. I was I saw it again. I was on campus at 8 a.m. And then I saw the graffiti on the on King's Chapel. Right. Um, and what did it? What did that say? I forgot what it said specifically. Um, Morehouse protect rapists. Yeah, right? yeah. It says it, the spray paint said Morehouse protects rapists and rape culture. Okay, mm-hmm. and rape culture. Okay, so yeah. So my, I guess, comments and uh, the way that I interacted with differ um, from both actions. So, mm-hmm. for me, I um, I know for a fact that some of those people on that mm-hmm. that were accused of that mm-hmm. have already had already gone through the process. They had been acquitted. Yeah. I mean, and it was also I was also informed that you uh, some of those people on the list had no idea right. that they would end up on a list like that they yeah. you know have, have never had any problems when it came to you know their sexual life or anything like that mm-hmm. um, so it was something that hearing those both sides of the story if I wasn't really sure how to react yeah. um, and then I, I made some comments about it on my Twitter basically asking and reaching out to anybody to inform me more about like why these things were done and yeah. because if I would when I try to um, think about things like this and how I would react and try to put myself mm-hmm. in other people's shoes. Yeah. So I feel like that way I'm able to feel empathetic and I'm able to yeah. understand how people feel. And if I was in this situation and I had nowhere to go and I would feel lost if something like this happened to me, and especially my like if I had a daughter in the situation, yeah. and then also if you had a son, and I understand, and I don't feel like the way that this person went about or these group of people went about mm-hmm. did it. Um, was the right thing to do mm-hmm. um, but at the same time anger and um, loneliness and depression can build up over time yeah. and when this builds up over time there are things done that are not rational and just mm-hmm. are based off of emotional then rather than you know what is the best thing to do here but also 
you know, it also can seem that you're running out of options because at that point, feeling lonely, you might want to transfer. I know several people who I've transferred because they felt lonely yeah. because of this. Um, so, and, but, and also a, a big topic on, you know, people were talking about in the AC is the, the graffiti on King's Chapel yeah. and how disrespectful it was. Yeah and how people didn't like that. Mm. And then I was also feeling that way mm. until I saw something uh, that kind of changed the way I thought about it. Okay. And it was a tweet that said, if you are offended by you know, the actual action of somebody spraying King's Chapel, then yeah. you are kind of a, you know, the same, put in the same bo- uh, you know, bowl or topic as the people who are offended by people kneeling with mm. the, you know, for the American flag. Mm. Um, because the, the message of it is powerful and it's yeah. trying to make a change, but because it upsets some people, yeah. people disagree with it. Yeah. So even though I go to Morehouse, I, I am now on a point where I don't I don't disagree with how they went about it because yeah. I know that it's something that can be frustrating and things can be made um, decisions and actions can be made out of frustration and being upset about how things are handling injustice to you. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Mm. I feel like you know I don't really have any type of solution um, because I feel like it's I'm a not, big topic. Yeah, like I don't. I, I'm not gonna act like I have an answer, but yeah. I also don't want to neglect anybody's feelings. So yeah. for me, I don't know how we can fix it, but yeah. there you can't. You can't just put people's names out there without yeah. any actual fact so just i know yeah. you say that you have a very specific view on it so just give me a little bit of background what that is yeah um so i've done a lot of direct action so my first one was the hillary for who one um i was one of the nine students who interrupted her when she came to clark atlanta mm-hmm. um got held up by secret security usher a weird combination of like very scary things it was really drawing way to enter social justice work but I definitely feel as if like direct action is like the last option for a lot of people King says a lot um like the voice of, I'm definitely misquoting this um but like the voice of like protest is like the folks who are the most marginalized who are the most upset and like I wasn't too sure about the strategy with the specific like flyers and the plastering but the folks that spray painted I could definitely see the pointness of it um and just thinking about like I think the beauty of Morehouse is like it holds so much to his institutions especially King's Chapel mm-hmm. um but thinking about like the reality of King's history like he was getting arrested all the time constantly doing non-violent direct action all the time so I'm pretty sure nothing pretty sure because I, I don't know this man right but he was pretty strategic and did a lot of direct actions that were specific and had a goal um and I don't think that spray painting was done out of malice or out of trying to disrespect Morehouse, but out of the fact of like being fed up, wanting something to change. Um, And I think that's like the best way to respect King's legacy, right? Like we hold him up as the civil rights leader who's really respectable, but he was anti-capitalist, anti-war. And the biggest reasons why the government was hounding him and Malcolm X was because they were so focused on socialism and communism um, and being against the war and trying to find ways for black folks to not become capitalist Um, and I think that's the part of the legacy that we forget and where it's harder for us to accept that you know nonviolent direct action has to happen Um, and it's the way that change you know like change is not easy it's not going to be a a board trustee meeting where everyone shakes hands and decides on an agreement because I've been in those places where 
I'm on the task force with whatever board of trustee member, whatever professor, and nothing happens. You know, it takes months and months and months for simple things to happen. Um, and it takes things like this for people to get scared for people to do what they need to do. I think my biggest concern when I saw it was about the folks who did it, just making sure that they were okay. Uh, I never really got confirmation on who did it, but I was just kind of, you know, scared for them because it's a lot on your spirit. It's a lot on your heart to know that, you know, you could have re-triggered people, put people in danger um, and just, you know, that stuff, doing stuff like that is illegal, right? Like right. nobody wants yeah. to get kicked out right. um, for doing those things, but it takes a lot of courage. So um, it makes me excited to know that after I graduate, there's definitely still some rebel rousers who are down to like, you know, shake, mm. shake things up even after I graduate. So Cool. And, and you've been involved in several actions like this. And mm -hmm. then you recently also had an article in Teen Vogue addressing this type of situation in the AUC and in colleges in general. So just can you talk about that and yeah. that, how that process was and what you were talking about in that article? Yeah, so it was kind of, um, I've been freelancing for almost a year uh, since this like beginning of last January or whatever. But I had the contact to um, Allison Maloney, who's the editor of Teen Vogue. I get super nervous about pitching people because a rejection kind of hurts sometimes. Um, but I felt like it was so in the news cycle um, and it was important and she really gave me the space to kind of, she was like, take a month, write it, figure it out what you need to do. But in the piece I kind of laid out, you know, the context of what happened, the context of what HBCUs are, why respectability politics is so important to HBCUs and why things don't change as fast as they do on PWIs. So thinking about Stanford, Yale, they've kind of, moved past HBCUs when it comes to sexual violence. Like they still have issues, but they're way quicker to change things because they've been so much in the news. Whereas HBCUs are always fighting to get closer to whiteness, right? So once you get out of Morehouse or Spelman, you gotta go to Harvard, gotta go to Yale, uh, right. gotta go to Columbia, right? You wanna be the best of the best because Spelman and Morehouse are considered the best of the best for HBCUs. So we don't wanna like diminish that light. You know, we have amazing alum, you know, great culture. So when you talk about sexual violence, we're supposed to be these pristine institutions mm. who don't have issues. So it's hard to talk about. Um, and it hinders Spelman and Morehouse specifically from really getting done what they need to get done um, effectively. So I've contacted Morehouse's Title IX director probably five times and she hasn't gotten back to me. Um, and I know Morehouse has, has a new president who I have to welcome to the AUC very specifically because I think um, administrators think it's a game, right? So they think that this is a conversation, a hot topic. Okay, we'll let them protest and then it'll go away. But I don't think they realize, you know, I think for myself, like with all seriousness, like I will get people fired because people are being hurt, right? So students are being assaulted, can't go to class um, because people aren't doing their job. Um, and I think that's the part where as students, you know, like that's not really y'all's job, but for myself, um, these administrators are letting things fall behind for the sake of being the number one, for being the best. And I think my article was kind of shedding the light on, you know, we can't keep leaving the skeletons in the closet for the sake of being the best. Right. And I read your article and the thing that I liked about it was that you didn't shy away from any of the topics. So I can understand why, mm -hmm. you know, the school was offended or, you know, yeah. but I also liked how the wording that you used wasn't in like an attackful type of tone. Mm -hmm. It was a, like I told you before, I, mm -hmm. I found it very graceful. Like mm -hmm. you were able to make your point made, like make your point and get right to it. And then mm -hmm. also give those details, but at the same time, 
it wasn't in a, a spiteful tone or anything like that. So that's why I appreciated about it that it, it was factual and it yeah. just it was got straight to the point. Um, yeah. But I can I definitely understand why it's you know the school would have some type of backlash. From yeah, it. yeah, we'll see. Hope hopefully next semester, this semester coming up, um, things will change. But you know I'm always wanting the best for for the AUC. Mm. You know I think. Um, with a lot of activists, it feels like, oh, you like hate these schools. It's like, I want, like, I fell in love with Spelman when I got here. Um, and I just want people to be safe. So I have to critique it. Right. You know, I can't love something if I don't critique it and want to make it better. Hmm. Um, and that's a constant tension between uh, myself and these institutions. But they're going to give me an award for it one day. <laughs> I'm so sure of it. Like, right. they're going to be like, Clarissa Brooks, welcome back. And I'll wow. be like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just giving my award, man. Like, I don't really... <laughs> I went through so much here, so... Right, you know, I've seen you doing uh, the, the work, you know, since for the past four years, so I do commend you on that. Um, and how, how has that been? Has it been kind of... Because I know you, a lot of change has been made, hasn't been made. Yeah. Uh, but has that kind of your timing, has it just been beneficial to you, you think? Or has it been... Has you Have you not seen the results that you expected? Or have, have, just give some insight on that. Yeah, so there's definitely been wins, oddly enough. Um... I see more wins off campus than I do on campus. Um, So with AC Shut It Down in 2015, 2016, um, we did a a camp out for Anthony Hill. So Anthony Hill was um, victim of police violence. Uh, He was having um, a psychotic episode, completely naked, killed by APD. Uh, And we basically slept outside of the DeKalb County courtroom for four days, myself and other people in AC Shut It Down. Um, I was there for like one day everyone else other people slept out for three I couldn't fit three <laughs> yeah. um, but the beauty of it was um, the officer was indicted um, and I think the rest of his case either happens this year or some other time I need to kind of catch up on it but there are real wins where like a lot of cases don't even get to an indictment mm-hmm. um, you know with the Westside Future Fund we were able to talk to board of trustees um, and things were really happening with that so oddly enough we get less pushback outside of school than we do on campus um and personally like um I was saying like right when 2018 started like I kind of have to jump out of organizing because it takes so much out of you um Mm. to constantly kind of deal with critique um and like you you can't focus on school right you can't focus on school when like you have like you know survivors messaging you calling you being like you know this happened to me um and it's just a lot on your spirit and I also noticed that you know a lot of college students suffer from mental illness um, and it's tough and it hits you differently. So I was diagnosed with depression my sophomore year um, and organizing has really given me the space to learn and find out who I am. Um, but it's also taken a lot from me. So when you're doing these task forces, when you're doing these programs, when you're building curriculum and not getting paid for it, it's taken out from homework. It's taken out from social time. Um, so I know for myself this year, um, as I step into a career in hip-hop writing and social justice work, I kind of have to step away from the AUC and kind of be really specific about what I do in order to take care of myself because I'm not going to kill myself for Spelman College. <laughs> I love it, but there's only so much I can do. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Clarissa. It yeah. was great having you, and I think we had some very important and interesting dialogue on an array of topics and um, for all the listeners out there, just a reminder that if you want to get all the articles that me and Clarissa talked about on today's podcast, um, to go to my website, bidjbug.wordpress.com and subscribe to the email list. I sent all the articles out um, through an email, um, not on the website, so that it's kind of 
you know, exclusive to you. So just sign up for that list and then also subscribe to the podcast page um, as usual and then like on the Facebook page. Um, so Clarissa, you can go ahead and shout out your Instagrams. Yeah. Um, let people know what's going on with you. Yeah. Um, my Instagram isn't that popping. It's just pictures of me doing stuff. But um, my Instagram is uh, Chloe uh, Sucks. Um, on Instagram, my Twitter is kind of where I'm kind of at most times talking about theory, trolling celebrities. Um, and that's Clarissa and Brooks. Um, and yeah, just hit me up there. I'm pretty accessible. Always down to talk about social justice issues, sexual violence, um, ways to, you know, just combat things. I know it's hard. Social justice can feel like a kind of really niche, specific, overwhelming, overbearing, super scholarly type of space. Um, but I want people to feel like they can ask questions and not get yelled at. So that's what I'm there for. Sounds great. Thank you so much again for taking the time out to be a guest on the seventh episode of my podcast. I really appreciate you for doing that. And for all the listeners, thank you for listening again. Um, Jay Buck out. Appreciate it.